Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hello there. Today I'm catching up with one of the awesome presenters who will be speaking at our Focus on Breathing Day in just under a month on Friday the 11th of February. She holds an MA in Vocal Pedagogy and Classical Voice Performance, has a certificate in MDH Breathing Coordination amongst many other things. She coaches athletes in optimal breathing and it's my pleasure to introduce Barbara Tanse. Barbara, welcome to Singing Teachers Talk. How are you? How are things going for you in Slovenia? Thank you so much, first of all, for inviting me. I always, any occasion I get to talk about what I'm so passionate about is just wonderful. And uh, yeah, well, things are the way things are. (laughs) Right now, I think none of us is expecting a lot from this year. So um, at least outwardly. So that means that we can go more into studying things, into understanding, uh, into trying to maybe on the micro level, Uh, make things work since on the macro things are just so grim (laughs) yeah yeah totally and speaking of that breathing is something that you have been really interested in um, as soon as you started studying voice so what was it that drew you down that path specifically yeah you know actually when I started to study singing I was one of those singers that I feel almost ashamed to say this but everything came to me so easily It was just, you know, this kind of natural thing. And I just went into it and it was a way of not having to study something boring. So I went into singing. So it was because it was fun. It was easy. And um, and at the time when I started, I wasn't even so focused on that. It took, as so often, it took a rather traumatic event for me to become much more aware of what's going on and that maybe I should give my breathing a little more attention. And uh, that was when I was singing um, Traviata, the main role, Violetta in in Traviata, Slovenian National Opera, Opera House, big performance, sold out house. And in the middle of it, just when it gets most dramatic, I start to hyperventilate. (laughs) Not that really not what I wish to anyone. Uh, it was just a lot of a lot of things came together that were not okay. I just I didn't eat enough. The costume was too tight because I jumped in for somebody else and the costume just didn't fit me right. And so I was squeezed in here with like a skirt that was absolutely not elastic. And my body decided in that moment that breathing is really important and that it's going to prioritize breathing over my singing. And I somehow made it to the end, but um, I think never has a Violeta been so, so happy and eager to die as I was. I mean, it was great for the acting because I really looked the part. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I'm laughing about it now, but at the time it was not so funny. Mm. It took me... um, three days to just recover from this acute feeling of not being able to breathe. Mm. And so I understood that I had to make some adjustments and that I had to understand things. Um, That was a bit more than 10 years ago Mm. when I was just also turning 30. And so I understood that it was just, it just didn't work as it worked before. Mm. I had to do something. And so I started to, 
look into it. And I, um, I had been studying with, uh, at the conservatory with Robin DeHaas, who is the founder of MDH Breathing Coordination. And so I started to do some workshops with him and then going into the, also the training of MDH Breathing Coordination. And that's really how my fascination with breathing started. Mm, amazing. And, and what was it then that you, that you implemented into your role or help other singers um, implement into their roles when they do have quite a constricting costume or they have that corset that literally restricts every rib? What can we do to, to make sure we can get through that uh, performance or eight performances or however many we have to do? Yeah, first of all, you got to practice with what you have then on stage, right? Our body is amazingly adaptable and malleable. And I mean, you can do a lot if you expect it and if you give your body time to adapt. And I think really the worst thing is to be in an already stressful situation and then add more stressful factors to that. So as much as it's possible Let's try to, it's the same with high heels, for example. Let's try to really practice in those, those factors that are physically really changing things, changing our balance, changing yeah, the way we can breathe so that our body and us together as a team, we can figure out how to make it work. Mm. But of course, um, let's say that in the best of all worlds, we would make sure that costumes even though they are tight are still elastic you know that they at least have this little bit of leeway for our body to well to adapt to different volumes that are happening inside and different pressures that are happening inside Mm. so this knowledge is kind of not always exclusive for the singer and the coach it's for the whole department of of theatrics to to get involved in understanding you know the weight of the wigs and how to fit the costumes and rake stages and and all of that that's going to really affect our performances yes and just knowing your body and probably you know i'm i'm rather petite and so probably for singers who are very narrow, very slim, you know, a corset for them is really directly impacted. This is just, it goes to the actual limit of the body where you really can't expand anymore at all. If you have a little bit of a cushion, you know, in your body, then maybe that has less of an impact on the, than the actual physiology. Yeah. So every singer is going to feel that differently. Some singers actually like to have something like a corset to kind of lean into that. Um, Some feel terribly restricted. So yes, I think it's very important for the costume departments and the singers to work together to find something that works for everybody. Mm. Right? Yeah, really important. And it's breathing is a is a funny one. Um, I find in in the uh, in the studio when you say, right, let's work on breathing and the singers like, huh? I breathe all day, every day without having to think about it. And and thank goodness, because I think most of us would be on the floor (laughs) pretty quickly if we had to think about that as well. And when we start to think about it, some wacky things start to happen and we start belly dancing or things get tense or things start popping out that we didn't know could pop out. So how do you start to bring awareness to this system, which is quite automatic or sub unconscious for us? Yes, um, it's a, sometimes it can be um, difficult to find the right way in, right? Because we don't want to 
directly traumatize the person who's in front of us, even though maybe we as coaches, we notice that our student is breathing in a shallow way or has like a strange breathing pattern or something. I don't think a good thing is to then go and say, uh, yo, you breathe really weirdly or, you know, like uh, your breathing is really bad. Like I've, I've seen so many people who came to me where a teacher had told them your breathing is terrible or you breathe like even it's incorrect or your breathing is, is wrong. <laughs> and I think that basically brings the opposite effect because then people are going to freak out. Mm. Like, what's wrong with my breathing? Oh my God. And so what I'm trying to do, and I really encourage others to do is to explore that, to go into and just ask questions, you know, like, Hey, um, do you know all the different parts of your body that you need for breathing? Like what are the parts of your body that you need or, um, where does the air end up when it goes into your body? And like, let's just explore that, you know, just with, with our hands um, and just do a lot of open questions and explorations, never force anything like you should feel this, you should feel that on other people because we never know, you know, something that feels, especially with breathing that already is, is quite an abstract um, thought to many people, you know, many people might have the impression that when they inhale, that their diaphragm co comes up, like that it goes up because we have this feeling that something is kind of lifting up here and they put that in perspective with, with the diaphragm. And then you tell them, no, that the diaphragm actually goes down. It can be like a complete revelation for people, but that they cannot immediately relate to in like an awareness or like sensory feedback kind of way. Yes. So a lot of exploration, a lot of um, open questions and no wrong answers ever. <laughs> and you work a lot with, with athletes as well. So what would be your typical kind of week? What, what sort of things do you do with your clients? What do you explore with them? Yes, I do a lot of exploring and um, breath mechanics. So talking about rib mobility, trying to find out which one of those little muscles around the rib cage. There are many muscles that attach to the ribs directly and can have an impact on breathing, even though they are only um, given an accessory role, but sometimes it's just exaggerated. And so we're trying to find out where the coordination lacks or you know where the pendulum goes into um into the direction where the body needs to work more for breathing than would be necessary and both for singers and for athletes even though in different ways this is really important um, an athlete for example a swimmer right they need the availability of all of those muscles, like the pectoral muscles, their back muscles, so that they can really nicely move their arm, that they have a good range of motion around their shoulders. But now if those muscles are used to um, taking over a too large of a role in breathing, like doing this, then of course this restricts the mobility that we would have in our shoulders. And so with athletes, we really need to go and look, how can we free up that muscle potential for their sport and take it away from the breathing. So we kind of have to put those muscles back into their places. And for singers, this is 
this is important in a different in different even though it's it's similar but we don't need an enormous range of motion maybe in the shoulders or we don't need those large muscles as much but for us for example mobilizing neck muscles when we're breathing a lot like inhaling like this and you have tensions building up in your neck of course will have an impact on how the larynx is able to move in a flexible way and 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 with that of course create sound more or less efficiently mm. so my work is basically like a detective's work like trying to look and trying to explore different structures and finding out where we can bring more coordination more um and equilibrium into the system so that it needs to work as little as possible and just does what is necessary. Mm. Sounds really, really interesting. And you mentioned there about some things you've noticed with swimmers. Are there any other patterns that you've noticed with particular sports or particular styles of singing that um, are quite a regular thing that you discover? Hmm. So if one thing is regular, then that everything is individual. <laughs> but yes, of course, certain positions, cyclists, for example, just the position that they have on their bike, if you talk to a person who is racing with a bike, right, their back is very often just in this very hunched position. And this, of course, does have an impact on how the ribs can move. And it has an impact on all those muscles here at the front, mm -hmm. So yes, out of those patterns of how they are positioned come certain habits, but you would be surprised how individual this still is. Mm -hmm. um, for singers as well, I wouldn't say that there's a particular mm, kind of breathing for each and every style of singing. It's more about how the singers have been taught like by teachers who told them you have to breathe like this like breathe only with your belly uh, or something like this you know sometimes they will get this kind of instructions and if they're uh, trying to really do well and you know do their teacher proud then sometimes that goes a little bit into into the too much side of it mm -hmm. which can then have an, a negative impact on the entire system uh, i see it more maybe interestingly with people who play instruments. So flutists, because of this kind of asymmetrical way that they have to, that they have to adapt when they adopt when they are playing their instruments or um, string players, because there you just have this very intense way of, of, of this difference between the two shoulders and the different muscles on, on the two sides of the rib cage. Singers, we have the luck that usually, you know, we can move quite freely. Uh, we don't, we, we are not restricted by any kind of, you know, instrument or any kind of body position. Mm. So this freedom on the one hand is great because it doesn't bring, it doesn't bring anything like ne necessary tensions with it. But on the other hand, it means that we're free and that means that we can just build our own disbalance you know, just yeah. as freely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so what would be your uh, advice or approach to lead a singer into optimal breathing? Okay. Um, first thing, understand 
what's really happening. Just what I said before, this whole like diaphragm moving up or moving down. I think it's very, very important that we have a good concept in our conscious mind as to what is happening when we breathe. And it still astonishes me how many times students come to me and they, they have had singing teachers before and yet they don't know where their diaphragm is. Or, you know, they still think that their diaphragm is like somewhere here or some people just think it's somewhere here in the front. And so that means that apparently nobody has ever taken the time to actually looking at the structures with them. And I think this is the first step. So a singer comes to me to understand breathing, but the first thing we're going to do, we're going to sit down and we're going to explore together what they already know about breathing, what kind of concepts they already have in their head. And then we're going to look at different anatomical images, uh, skeleton, looking at the rib cage, and all of those things, we're going to try to make that relatable then for, that, for the singer in, in their own body. Because without understanding the mechanism, it's very, very, it's already abstract, even if we understand the mechanism, but I think it's almost impossible to make it work if we don't understand. So that's the, the first thing that I would do. Yeah, great. Nice. And do you find that people are um, or singers are receptive to kind of looking at those atomical, uh, anatomical images and learning about that? Uh, I, re- I just think back to my science classes and I think if we'd have done this at school, I would have been interested. <laughs> But instead, we were doing dots on the page for photosynthesis. <laughs> well, the ones who come to me are, you know, yeah. so I mean, but of course, they come to me because of that, usually. Um, it all depends on how we present it to them. And the more relatable we make it for them, and the more we really make them feel it, palpate it on, on themselves and, and try to... Um, maybe use some funny little tools, like it can be, you know, just like some straw phonation or something that really makes it relatable for them. I think then people are receptive. Of course, if, if I ask them, always ask them, hey, if this is boring, you, we can go sing, you know. But I, I really do think that without at least the basic understanding of how the instrument works, it's really difficult, maybe not to, to, to sing, because of course, some people sing naturally very well. But if you want to go into a, like being a professional singer, for example, or just to maintain um, a progress in your, in your learning curve, mm-hmm. at a certain point, you will have to understand how your instrument works. Mm-hmm. Because we will all sooner or later come to a point where we have a cold, or we're tired, or maybe... For girls, even more, you know, there is we have our menstruation, and something will come come up that just will make our voice a little less, you know, great. Yeah. <laughs> day, and the latest at points where we have problems like this, it will help us to understand what's going on, so that we can then fix it. Mm. at least so that we can understand it and not force it into the wrong direction. I mean, fixing it is like a big word, but at least that we don't go overboard on expecting things that are not kind of realistic. Yeah, Mm, for sure. 
And uh, with that, we can be as imaginative as we like with our delivery, can't we? And, and as long as we are client-led and we get to know what they're going to engage with, we kind of don't lose. Uh, we can suit them. So how's how's COVID been um, for, for you? Have you seen many singers who are struggling after having had it with their breathing? And, and how have they kind of progressed? Yes. So especially in the last half year, especially after Delta, I, I there are so many actually. There are just very few who haven't been hit. Some of them just got through it easier than others also athlete wise mm. there are a lot of athletes who are struggling with this mm. yeah um we have what we have seen is that again understanding the mechanism mm. and being able for them already just at home maybe while they're recovering from like a, an acute infection it doesn't actually need to be COVID. it can be any kind of respiratory um infection um them being able to understand that what, if they were coughing a lot, you know, and everything was really tense and their muscles were really hurting, that to just go in there and trying to, um, trying to release with your fingers, it's something so simple, but it makes a lot of difference to just give those structures some attention and not just expect that, okay, I'll feel better and then everything is just as like before. So we've been working a lot on, yeah, releasing excessive tension after coughing. Mm. Um, of course, when it comes to inflammation inside the lungs, that's not something that we can solve with breathing exercises or, you know, at least not in an acute kind of way. I've had one student whose uh, boyfriend was really sick with COVID and he was really couldn't breathe well. And she sends me a message. Hey, are there any breathing exercises that we can, that, I, that we can do right now to help him breathe? And I said, well, no, I think if he can't breathe because of an acute inflammation, you need to call a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but once we're out of the acute infection, when it's basically just rehabilitating healthy patterns, you know, because of course, when we're wheezing and we can't breathe well, this is going to um, activate so much of those accessory breathing muscles, you know, yeah. where we kind of feel like we need to pull in the air, we need to pull up the ribs so that we get in any kind of air at all. Mm -hmm. And um, so that we kind of return to some sort of a normal breathing pattern where the diaphragm can take over really the, the lion's amount of the work. Mm. The other muscle just return to other things that they need to do, right? The neck muscles need to help us to turn our head and all of those things. So we've been working on lo a lot on this, just kind of finding breathing patterns that were there before and just getting them back. Mm. And we're really excited to have you at our um, Focus on Breathing Day on the 11th of February. So can you give us a little insight as to what you might focus on on that day? Yes. So I think something that I'm uh, really very, very passionate about is, and probably you already heard this now, is everything that is happening around the ribcage. Um, so we're going to explore different muscles that are connecting to the ribs that can help us breathe, but don't necessarily need to help us breathe. 
So we're going to go into the neck muscles and, you know, for example, we're going to connect that maybe with how we can inhale silently when we need to, especially when we have a microphone in front of our mouth, right? So that we don't hear this kind of inhale so strongly, except when we want that for dramatic effect, of course. Um, so we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about maybe also the subglobal pressures and how they impact all of those structures, all of those muscles, um, the abdominal muscles. So how much of the belly needs to move, um, is going to move, and what kind of role do the abdominal muscles have in breathing? Um, because it's such a common misconception that, you know, you, we need to breathe into our bellies. Or I, I, I get the, the, the idea behind, the, behind this kind of image, but it can actually do more harm than good sometimes. So we're going to just look at this and then everybody can decide for themselves if, um, if, if those words feel the same for them than they do for me or what they make of those words. And yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about the pressures and the mechanics and I'm sure that time will be too short for all of it anyway. Yeah. Oh, we're so looking forward to it. Uh, and speaking of, of subglottal pressures, you have an amazing venture that you're about to set off on with um, the lovely Oren Boda. Um, can you give us a little insight to that? Yeah, so it's still very, very fresh, but we have been granted a patent for a little tool that we invented together. Um, and yes, it's a tool that will help people um, gain more awareness of what's happening inside their body, which is such an abstract kind of thing. And, you know, it's because we're always trying to explain internal pressure via the outside, right? Like what what's happening to the belly and what's happening here and what do we do? Do we need to squeeze something, this whole support kind of idea, um, especially when it comes to, again, the abdominal muscles. And yes, so we developed this little tool that's called the FlexiFlow. And um, we're really excited about kind of getting it out there and training teachers to work with it because we think that it can be a game changer for some people. We don't believe that it's, you know, the only reality and the only truth because that's just never true. But we believe that it can help some people who struggle with understanding what support or, you know, pressure management actually means. Mm. Yeah, sounds awesome. And anything that can kind of help us translate these sensations to something a little bit more tangible or um, understandable to our own experience is really helpful. I'm all up for a toolbox with uh, props and all, all sorts. So we'll absolutely be following that journey. Um, where can people find more out about you and get in touch with you if they want to know more? Um, the easiest is probably Instagram. That's where I'm most active. So my Instagram is BT Breathing. And I put a lot of information right now. I have this series, yeah, the ribs and their muscles, which is going to definitely be a part of the, of the webinar. Um, there's a lot about pressure management. Um, I have a whole series of um, IG, IGTV videos about pressure management. 
And also just about how sometimes we forget that everything we need for breathing well is actually already built in. So we haven't really touched on this, but nasal breathing is something that is so important. Mm. Yet, I mean, maybe for singers, as singers, we do need to breathe through our mouths sometimes. Mm. But for our voice, it's so important to breathe through our nose when we're not singing, when we're not speaking, right? Mm. It really does protect those um, tissues that we have in here that we really don't, don't want to um, dry up. Too mm. Yeah. It's cold. So, yeah. So there's a lot about nasal breathing and about different um, people, podcasts that I've done, people that I'm working with. I'm just so excited about connecting to other people in the breath world. So um, I'm working a lot with um, the art of breath. So that's Brian McKenzie and Rob Wilson, uh, different people, the sing space. Of course, I've been a mentor at the sing space since the beginning. Um, And so it's just so exciting to work together with people who are interested in this and are ready to dig deeper and explore. Yeah, yes. And we, we're so looking forward to the whole day dedicated to breathing on the 11th of February. And you don't want to miss out. We've got a lineup of Patrick McKeown, Rachel Goldenberg, Alan Watson, Charlotte Wells, and of course, lovely Barbara Tanzer. Thank you so much for joining me today and giving us an insight to your lovely world of, of breathing and what to expect on this day. Um, so I will just say head to uh, www.basstraining.com forward slash event to get your tickets and we will absolutely see you there. Thank you so much, Barbara. I can't wait. Fellow Curious Voice Nerd, have you got your ticket to our next event yet? Well, head over to www.basstraining.com forward slash store and we'll save you a seat. That's www.bastraining.com forward slash store. Don't worry, you haven't totally missed out on our past events. A recording is waiting for you there too. You probably want to sign up to our mailing list though, just to make sure you never miss another cordial invitation. So follow the link in our podcast description to join. See you at the next one.